And welcome to the Left Wingers podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm Kathleen. And I'm Panny. Hi, Panny. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Panny, could you explain to the Left Wingers who you are and what you're up to? Panny, I'm the co-founder and chair of uh, Labour Doorstep, which is a cross-factional campaigning group. I'm also the current co-chair of the Young Fabians International Network, the elected alongside chaplain to the young fabians exact whoop, whoop. <laughs> well thanks for coming on panny we really appreciate it great to hear more from the new young fabians committee because of course last week we had on amy dwyer who we had a fantastic time recording with so hopefully panny will have a great time with you too i think the idea is we we try and crack through all the young fabians yeah that's what we're actually doing yeah actually. this is actually a free promotional on behalf of the left wingers um no it's not it's not that's actually a joke we just happen to really like some people that have been elected to the committee but if you're interested as we've said many times before if you're interested in coming on the left wingers and being a guest presenter please let us know because we'd love to hear from you we're actually in the process of planning uh, a christmas episode where we hope to have lots of people on and have a really good time talking of christmas something that we were going over before we started recording was when the most appropriate time is to actually start playing Christmas songs. And I think we're of a different opinion, but I, I believe we can come to some kind of consensus as to what the, the earliest time is that's acceptable to start playing Christmas music. Now, for me, we're recording this on November the 6th, uh, just after Bonfire Night. And this is, <laughs> this is the time for me to start integrating Christmas music into my listening habits, I feel. Because I love a bit of Christmas and I've been dying to start listening to music since September, but I've I've used a lot of self self restraint and um, and not actually started until well probably later on tonight. Panny, what are your thoughts on this uh, cutting edge, up to date, head of politics, forefront mega issue? So I actually think today is the day because it's after bonfire night, sixth of November. Let's get on it. Let's get some wham on. Okay, I like how you. That's... I like how wham you put that. You put that out there. That's a good song. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So I disagree. I mean, I disagree with both of you, but only by a week. I think one, you should be allowed to play Christmas music whenever you want. But I think if people play it in July, it's just a little bit strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think after Remembrance Sunday, I think that kind of Monday Tuesday, because I think that's like. The most important parts of November is obviously Remembrance Day and and then obviously Bonfire Night as well. So I think when you get those done, which I think are the most important parts, you know, we've had Halloween, we've had a Bonfire Night, we've had Remembrance Sunday. When that's done, I think you can, I think you can go ham on the Christmas music, but I also think you can go ham on the Christmas movies. Oh. I don't think they have to wait until December either. Oh no, I I am of a different opinion. I think because I'm talking I... Die Hard, I'm talking Bridget Jones, I'm talking <laughs> the Holiday. I'm oh, that's talking... another debate whether Die Hard's actually a Christmas movie. It's a great Christmas oh, film. Oh, yeah, there is no debate. Right there is no debate. Oh, um, well, there's a Christmas movie. 
Thank you very much, Panny. You can come Bye. on next week. Brandon, unfortunately, <laughs> we'll see you. Um, uh, I regret to announce that everyone just actually Brandon decided to leave the show on behalf of uh, on behalf of the diehard debate that we had to. <laughs> For me, the reason why I start listening to music so early into November is because I plan my year around playlists, my Spotify playlist. Okay. So I've had my Halloween playlist, which has dominated my life through October. I've just had my Bonfire Night playlist, which isn't worthy of a month, but for five days, that's okay. And now a I bonfire feel like... Bonfire Night playlist? Yeah, of course. Get a bit we'll of firework on there. No, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Hang on. What's on the Bonfire Night? <laughs> don't, don't just... What? Okay, I just think one of the things to that. notice is that Brandon is one of the most organised people in the world. So I think we've all like... I think we've just listened to a little bit of how organised his life truly is. But could you go into detail? Could you read us read us out some of the things on the Spotify on Finite um, playlist? So, so like as I started to mention, like you've got to have a bit of Katy Perry firework. You've got to have okay. a bit of fire starter. Um, okay. Oh, it's just things were firing, so we didn't start. There's the fire. a lot of fire in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also songs like Parliament, Flashlight, because obviously Parliament, Bonfire Night. Blown up Parliament. There's a lot of tenuous links, is what I'm saying, but it forms part of my playlist. So <laughs> I just love well, I our heard. parliamentary democracy. Is, is what I'm saying. Good, well saved. Panny, you got any thoughts on this? Um, well, I don't have a bonfire night playlist. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I feel like that's a bit much. Yeah, I mean, I I basically just listen to the same music for the whole year, which is very very varied. It's very very varied. But then during Christmas, I listen to Christmas music. Well, one thing that I'm not happy about is how listening to Christmas music skews your Spotify, like, stats and your charts. Like, I I hate that. Like, I hate having Mariah just, like, raise through my rankings at the end of the year. It's like, what's she doing? This is not your place. You're you're separate from the rest of the year's music. Like You basically need another account. You need another yeah, account honestly, just for Christmas yeah. music. That's what you really... <laughs> Why don't you get like a family account and just have Brandon from January to November and then Brandon oh, December? That's not a bad shout, honestly. I like and then that, they won't it? get mixed. <laughs> anyway, talking of our love of parliamentary democracy. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what? quite the segue. Um, we... <laughs> I love, I love that for you, Brandon. That's fantastic. Right. Fair you enough. literally Fair don't play. know where I wrote that. I wrote that so highly, Brandon. <laughs> That's hilarious. In the past week, we've had a bit of a scandal going through Parliament. And it's not just been in the past, past week, because it's actually been on the, the back burner for quite a while. But basically, Owen Patterson MP, um, MP for North Shropshire, has been, been investigated by the Standards Committee, and they have judged that he has been um, using his position to lobby ministers and various government organisations on behalf of two companies whom he is being paid to consult for, which is, is quite quite a moment. And actually, now, now he's resigned, there's been a lot of steps before his, his resignation that has led up to this point, and a lot of the government being forced to justify their actions when they didn't necessarily need to go down that route. So mm. the, the reason why I say this is that the... The Standards Committee said that he should be suspended for 30 days um, from Parliament, which, you know, is is obviously not ideal for him. But I think it's it's quite a <laughs> it's quite a weak punishment for having used your, your role for um, lobbying purposes. But then because the, the government tried to suspend the process and delay his his punishment for using his role for lobbying, um, 
then that's kind of spiraled into a whole kind of I don't know how to put this any more eloquently than it's turned into a shitstorm where one wasn't necessary. <laughs> and actually, you can start a recall petition if you've been suspended from Parliament for 30 sitting days. Mm-hmm. And by the government kind of messing messing Parliament around and making it into more of a news story than it would have been before, it's probably given more, it, it did give more fire to kind of people organising recall petitions in his constituency so that's kind of led to his his departure in in a roundabout way what are your thoughts on like the whole fiasco that's happened over the last week oh it's an absolute i mean it should it should be the kind of thing that used to bring down government it should be like cash for questions it's it's a corruption scandal and it's a corruption scandal by a government which has rules, no rule regard by the but the norms and values which I think people in this country care about. But for some reason it doesn't seem to be cutting through. People aren't speaking about it. People don't seem to care. And it's a real issue. And political apathy and the political apathy that we have now is is a huge issue because we've got I guess this lot just doing whatever the hell they want and seemingly getting away with it. So, yeah, very, very, very concerning. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think it comes to the question, really, should should MPs have second jobs or work outside of their main job of being a member of parliament? And I think, I mean, I think that's quite, I think it's a question the country needs to answer. Like, do we want our representatives who are supposed to be representing the members uh, the members of their constituency and their political party, do we want them taking money off, you know, companies, groups, interest lobbies? And that could be anything. Like, I don't, I think, obviously, you've seen one end of the spectrum, which is a uh, hundred grand in total for some work done, for some major lobbying done by a government minister, somebody who was a government minister. I think he's been a Secretary of State as well. I think that's a question we have to answer, but I think, you know, I think that's one end of the, that's one end of the scale. And then the other end of the scale is, for example, people that, you know, MPs that give their time towards, you know, they sit on a board of a charity, they sit like that, in a, that that's also lobbying in a way, that's interest sharing in a way. Yes, okay, it's for a charity. Yes, okay, it's for a board. Yes, okay, it's for a nonpartisan, uh, a B Corp. So, you know, something that's not necessarily a company with interest, but, but there's no doubt about it. You know, if I was starting up a charity, if I was starting up a business, I, I, one of the first things I want to do is speak to some MPs, speak to some ministers. If I was able to provide that money, if I was able to provide finance, if I was looking to expand into something and I wanted to speak to some members of the Conservative Party, you know, I'd go ahead and do that. I think that's a question for us to answer, but I think that's, uh, it's been a standout case, but I think a lot of MPs at, at certain times in their lives have taken money off interest groups, corporations for things that they care about or believe in. Yeah, so I think I think another thing to note, and you mentioned about sitting on boards of charities and B corporations, the current the current amendment which people are talking about would ban all second jobs. Now that includes Rosanna Allen Khan going and working on A and E wards in, in her spare time. And so I don't think that's a solution. And I think it needs to be more carefully worded in order to 
kind of allow that kind of thing and allow people to be on the boards of charities and do good work as part of their role as an MP because that is the role of an MP it's representing your community it's doing good work and it's improving things Mm. but I also think there need to be rules in place to prevent large corporations essentially buying influence and that's got to be a very carefully worded amendment a very carefully worded law but I do think that it's something that's really really important and we should take time on it to make sure that it's done right I, I agree with that and then I also think there has been an argument and maybe it's the other two to the side but there's there has been an argument that well the majority of MPs are on 80 something grand a year if they were in the private sector they argued they would probably be most of them I think would be on more than that the same or more and they've given up a lot of money to be there they've given up a lot of time a lot of time away from their families and is 80 grand enough for them? I think that's I think that's another question that they should be they should be asking as well. Did Owen Patterson desperately need a hundred grand? Probably not. But have there been MPs in the past that have been stretched financially and then had to take money off, you know, private companies or other interest groups to balance the checkbook? I would say maybe in the history of Parliament, that's probably happened if you think of how many MPs there are and the fact that they travel a lot for their work, the fact that it's quite a demanding job, the fact that a lot of a few of them need you know private security, need private interest to help them. I think I, I think it's it's something that we need to answer as a group of people. And it's something that we need to kind of think about. But I think this year, one of the things we kind of did last year was we predicted what would happen in the year ahead. And I didn't really think that lobbying and like scandals would kind of emerge again. But it seems like history is kind of repeating itself from 2008. It seems like we've kind of gone, we've gone back to like sleaze MPs and taking money off people and who's who's yeah. put money and what. And I, I didn't really see the David Cameron story coming and I didn't really see this one coming either. Well, I mean, one thing that I, it kind of makes me, my stomach turning away is kind of how Owen Patterson's reaction to this in that he doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong which for me suggests that he is part of a culture in Westminster where other people are also doing what he's doing so he he looks at I suppose his colleagues his friends his, his co-workers and what they're doing and thinks well what I'm doing isn't any worse than what other people around me are doing. Obviously, this is not, he hasn't blatantly said this, but he, it's, there's a lot of implications in the way that he's defended himself. And what he's actually done, just for listeners um, who don't know very much about the background of, of this case of uh, Owen Patterson and what, what he's been up to, he's been hired by companies in Northern Ireland, Randox and Lynn's Foods. And whilst he was Secretary of State, he actually went and visited the food safety watchdog more than 10 times which is quite <laughs> which is quite an unusual thing for somebody whose attention should be elsewhere being a minister um and to be fair this whole case is just kind of exemplified for me the the chaotic workings behind what this conservative government is doing for example um PPSs Angela Richardson who actually voted against the government um amendments government bills was sacked and then the day after rehired and it led to two very awkward tweets where she was like oh I'm sad to lose my role and then she was like I'm now committed to the government and uh, rebuilding our country and it was just it just looks embarrassing it's just really embarrassing and I don't know how this isn't cutting through at some kind of human level because I I just don't have any respect for this government like it's not even that I don't 
agree with how they're going about things. I don't respect the way that they're running the country. I think there are a lot of similarities that can be pulled with our interview with Mark Pinsley a couple of weeks ago, Brandon, where we spoke to him about big big business entering big politics and big lobbyists entering big politics. You can check that out if you haven't. Uh, go and listen to it already. It's definitely worth a listen as he uh, Mark's running a campaign to basically get big business out of big politics, uh, of which we both wished him luck, but it seems like it's very unlikely. Uh, so maybe if we could, I don't know how it would be possible um but if there's any way we could keep Big Lobby Fox out of the Westminster Hen House, I think that might be uh, might be something we could all think about. I do agree with what both of you have said, but you know, reading the poll that came out this morning, um, no change in the Conservative opinion polls. Uh, I think Labour were down one or two. It's usually I find now the polls usually have the Conservatives around forty and the and Labour usually at thirty five to thirty seven, sometimes a bit lower. Um, so nothing nothing has changed, and I think that's because. People think that all politicians are corrupt now and anything that just proves that bias. So they go into it with that confirmation bias and everything, anyone that proves that or any scandal that comes out surrounding that adds the assumption that people think all politicians are corrupt. And I think it's up for the Labour Party and I think it's up for the opposition to prove that they are not corrupt. Um, But I think they'll have a hard time doing that. Well, I think it's just such a shame kind of thinking about all the work that MPs have done over the past 10 years to kind of regain the trust of their constituents um to to reach out into communities and show that what they're doing is actually important and they're doing it on behalf of their constituents and things like this this scandal have just again knocked public perception i i would love to see some some polling as to whether or not in the past year public trust in politicians has decreased again um i i am not aware of the the overall trends over the past 10 years but you know being a politician has been one of the the lowest trusted and respected professions. And I just hope that by us taking the line of, oh, the Conservatives are corrupt and, you know, one rule for them, one rule for everybody else, it doesn't backfire in a way because a lot of people still see the Labour Party as being part of that kind of, that system of corruption and uh, from, from the time when we were in government towards the end, um, whether, whether that's right or not is another question, but that is the public perception. I think there's a strong campaign that would have to be formed to combat the feeling that the British public have, which is, oh, they're all the same. And I don't quite know how you get around that. When I went out to Batley and Spen, we, and we were obviously campaigning for Kim, there were a lot of people who I spoke to who were like, I don't like politicians, I don't like politics. She sounds quite different. She sounds like she cares. I think that's kind of what we need, really. She is the the perfect example of what a constituency MP should be. Somebody who's uh, this is this can't always happen, but somebody who's got a stake in the area. Ideally, somebody who's passionate about constituents. Somebody not always necessarily highly politically involved, because she she was part of the Labour Party before, and then she left to do charity work. And I think having that that time outside of politics has benefited her in that she's she's quite a well-rounded person and very ordinary in the sense that she's very easy to talk to when she talks to you um you feel like she cares about it seems like she cares about what you have to say which does make a big difference so this week we put out a post on the left wingers podcast twitter and it said you are the new chancellor of the exchequer welcome to number 11 downing street what policy changes are you planning to include in your first budget and 
we got some really great responses. And if you want to be included in the show in some way, shape or form, probably the easiest way is by responding to our posts because we love it when you interact with us via social medias. And if you listen to our, our old episodes, we do reference people when they they actually do respond to our posts, which is really cool. Do you want to go over some of the, the responses that we've got? Kathleen, what, what have you picked out of some of the comments that particularly caught your eye? So my favourite answer was from Dylan, who says, who calls for fairer funding and resources for electrifying the Southwest's train lines. So this is a cause that I thoroughly believe in. I think that people consistently talk about the lack of funding and transport in the north without really thinking that the southwest actually has even worse trains, funding. There's a lack of money. There's literally a line in the southwest that every two or three years gets flooded because it's next to the sea. And then instead of just changing the line, they just rebuild it. Uh, So I thought that was fair. And I think if Labour wants to win in the southwest, we have to start putting out policies to suit those people. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And actually, one one of the things that I think the, the government has failed on just for the past 10 years, really, is a lack of investment in infrastructure across the country. You know, we want a backbone going up the country from the southwest right to the north and to Scotland as well. Um, you know, I know that it's it's a devolved issue, but I just wish that the, the government would actually coordinate with the, the Scottish government, even if they are ruled by the SNP, to actually still be able to carry out in, uh, infrastructure projects up there as well. The government says now that they're willing to borrow to invest only, but I don't see them investing in infrastructure at all, really. And just, I know we're going back to the north, and I know that the original point was about the southwest, but kind of the the briefings to the media that the government's not actually going to continue HS2 up into the north kind of reflects uh, how, how far down transport is on their priorities, which seems really, I really don't understand it because if we have strong in, uh, transport infrastructure, it means that one, we're going to be able to move towards our climate targets quicker. Uh, two, it's going to connect up all of the local economies, which is Brilliant. And also another element of transport that I don't think people really take into account very much is also boosting domestic tourism, because whenever I'm I'm thinking about going somewhere in the country, um, which is a bit of a distance away, I don't think about jumping in a car. Generally, I think, oh, can I get the train to there? And actually, the current infrastructure up and down the country doesn't allow for that. It doesn't allow you to travel up and down the, the country quickly or for a decent cost. I, I think Again, the government's really missing the trick here. So are, are you telling me are you telling me that levelling up was just the slogan used to win an election? I might be saying that, yeah. <laughs> this is this what you're telling me here? Shocking. Uh, no, but I complete I completely agree. I think I think infrastructure infrastructure is so important. It'll make us a fairer, better country. I I think it'll get people off road, it'll get people travelling domestically. I think it's I think there's literally no downside. One of the things that we were talking about last week, actually, and this comes from Christopher Fenn, is actually investing in nuclear and alternative energy, particularly nuclear. We talked about this a little bit last week, um, kind of in in passing as part of a a wider conversation. But I don't see another way that we're actually going to reach our climate targets without investing in nuclear energy. And it's Again, I think there's a lot of potential in nuclear energy, not just for energy production, but also for creating jobs in this country. And but both in actually construction, constructing nuclear power plants 
um, in maintaining nuclear power plants, but also in scientific research. We, there's a lot of potential in that. Um, and I would like to say that we wouldn't have to resort to nuclear to reach our climate goals, but I don't see any other way of doing it in the short term without looking at it in in that way. And also, one of the misconceptions about nuclear is that it's a particularly dangerous um, energy source, which actually research suggests that it's actually more dangerous to be building renewable energy sources because of the kind of loss of human life in constructing, for example, wind farms or um, not so much in this country, but in other countries, like things like dams and the amount of life lost in in creating them and, and what happens when they go wrong. And actually, even though we hear about things like Chernobyl and what happened in Fukushima, those incidents are really incredibly rare. And in terms of how many people they affected in the in the world compared to, for example, f- fossil fuels, which affect a lot more people, um, it's still less damaging to pursue nuclear energy. And if you want to listen more about uh, nuclear energy, have a listen to... Um our podcast with George Fairhurst, who's the assistant organiser for CIRA and is very much anti-nuclear. Uh, so definitely something I think we'll explore as time goes on. No doubt about it, a fascinating topic. Honey, do you want to... Honey, oh. do, do you want to give us your view on nuclear quickly? Um, stop gap. I don't think it's the ideal long-term solution. We need action now to kind of resolve the climate or start to resolve the climate crisis. And I think nuclear forms part of that energy mix, which we're going to need. So I think we shouldn't write it off. It's not going to be the only solution. We can't just be like, let's build, have many massive nuclear power plants and that's it. Um, I quite like Christopher Fund's idea of funding for school clubs, because that is something which the last Labour government did really well with um, Shore Start Centres and and that kind of thing. And it provided real opportunity for a whole generation of kids. And I think that's something which we should be we should be doing again and we should be looking to do again. Um, in addition, I kind of had one of my own as well. So people forget that after the banking crisis, we bought out a lot of the banks. And we are still the majority shareholder of the NatWest Group, which includes RBS, um, Ulster Bank and Coots, which is a private bank. So that is however many billion in uh, assets, 799 billion, so almost 800 billion in total assets, which... I mean, it's, 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 it's a huge amount of kind of stuff to own. And if, and if that bank, we as a majority shareholder, were able to use it for funding green projects, both at home and abroad, funding infrastructure, and for those kind of things, I think it would, I think it would be transformational. And we're able to do that now because we are the majority shareholder. We decide what gets funding, what the direction of the bank is. And that's something that we should really look at seriously, I feel. I love that you just said we're going to take Coots, which is the private bank of the Queen. And I think you need a minimum of a hundred grand even just to have an account there. And you want it to you want to build a infrastructure with that. <laughs> Big thinking. Big thinking. What do you think there should be a shareholders meeting of everyone who's a legal taxpayer in the UK? 
just like a really big zoom one with some polls about what should we do with the money <laughs> there's there's obviously um a lot of i'm going to say the word again potential in um, in ideas like this in that we do need radical solutions to investing in green tech and actually investing in other countries as well um, to try and combat the climate crisis and you know if we can if we can do that off the back of a, a financial crisis kind of um i suppose a, a benefit of something that happened which was really terrible then you know why shouldn't that be pursued okay so unfortunately that's all that we've got time for today panny just before we go is there anything that you'd like to promote is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners if you haven't already join the young fabians or if you're over 31 and you're listening to this join the fabians they do a lot of great work and i think like it's really really one of the things which the tories um have a lot of and do really well with is think tanks got a lot of them coming up with policy constantly churning out ideas and i think that's where we need to be constantly churning out ideas yeah of course and obviously on on this podcast we're very committed to the fabians (laughs) literally to the point of (laughs) kathleen being on uh the national exec and um yeah we'd always encourage people to join because it's it's a really nice way of you know, getting to know more about policy and, and feeling more confident about talking about issues which we've gone over today because um, it makes you feel more comfortable and more, I, I, yeah, again, confident in pursuing your interests and your policy interests, um, which is really cool. Thank you again, Panny, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. If you'd like to keep in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or like us on Facebook. Also, don't forget to tell other people about us. It's the main way we grow our podcast. Oh, and also, don't forget to to follow Panny's Twitter, which will be in our episode description. Keep whinging, maybe listen to some Christmas music, and we'll see you next week.